You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey everybody, welcome to Kingsway Christian Church. My name is Matt Nickerson, and it is an honor to be here with you starting a new series today. The heart of this series comes from the fact that around four to six weeks ago, I was looking at where we might be at this point in the world today, thinking the quarantine might be ending and saying, hey, how do we take whatever lessons we learn in the quarantine and take them with us into the future? Well, I earned a nickname recently, and my wife and I jokingly call me Quarantine Dad. And Quarantine Dad, man, he's awesome. He cooks, he cleans, he does all these projects around the house, he plays with the kids, he gives his wife a nap, he runs errands. Quarantine Dad is amazing. But Quarantine Dad is coming to an end, and my wife and I are grieving the loss of Quarantine Dad. Now, what we're really starting to do, at least what I'm really starting to do, is ask this question. God, you gave us a brief moment in time to really look at and evaluate life. Are we doing what we need to do? Is it going how we need it to go? I realize for some of you, the quarantine hit in different ways. In fact, just recently, I was on the phone with a friend who goes to Kingsway, and quarantine was not at all a break for him. Long days, 12-plus-hour days, lots of stress. In fact, it led him to, a, to the point of near burnout. He was feeling exhausted. I noticed in my last couple conversations with him that he had this edge to him that he didn't normally have. Then he decided last minute to go on vacation with his family, and I talked to him at the end of that vacation, and he felt refreshed again. He finally decided to push pause. And that's really what the heart of this series is about. That over the next few weeks, we would just push pause. We would evaluate life and really ask if everything we're doing is everything that God intends for us to do. And if it is, fantastic. But if it isn't, are we willing to make the hard choice to let it go? One of my favorite biblical authors is a gentleman named David, King David. He wrote most of the Psalms. It's been said that the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And when you read the Psalms, read them as prayers, worship songs, songs that communicate what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139, David writes this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I love the psalm. David goes on to write, where can I go to get away from you? If I go to the heights, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. You are there. You see me. You know me. One of the most famous titles, we might call it a name for God that we receive in the Old Testament. You've probably heard it as Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh would be a transliteration of the Hebrew, Yahweh Yira. The whole idea is we often, you often hear it as the Lord provides or God provides or my provider. You've probably heard that at some point, perhaps. The literal translation is not my provider. It means that, but it's the God who sees or God will see to it. 
And the whole idea is that there are these Old Testament fathers of the faith, guys like Abraham, who in the midst of a trial, in the midst of strife and struggle, he needed God to show up. And when God showed up and provided in some crazy, awesome God way, he just went, Jehovah Jireh, you are the God who sees. In other words, I know that because of my pain and the way that you've dealt with it, that you are watching over me. And that is exactly the conclusion that David comes to in Psalm 139. I know now you are the God who sees and you are the God who will see to the details of my life. So David's conclusion in Psalm 139 is this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you notice, there are four things here that David invites God into. Number one, search me. Look at my life. Look at my heart. Search out me, God. And then he says, know me. My heart, my thoughts. Isn't this what everybody today is looking for? Part of what is missing in our country today in the midst of everything going on is this idea of searching and knowing. We often align ourselves with certain perspectives or political parties, and it's all based off our experience or what we were told or what we think is right or wrong. And consequently, we're doing a really poor job of sitting down and listening to and talking to and hearing from. And what the Bible says that we celebrate with those who celebrate and we grieve with those who grieve. We often have to do both simultaneously and we have the ability to do so. And the goal in all of it is not that our opinion wins the day. The goal of all of it is that God's perspective transforms our lives. And that's exactly what David is trying to get to here. Search me, God. Know me, God. And then he says, test me, God. As my life and my actions reveal what you are discovering about me, put a test in front of me. Let me prove to you my character. Let me prove to you that my life aligns with your life. And then he says, and if there's anything else going on, any way that's offensive about me, anything that I don't know, Father, then lead me. Lead me. Now, the reason I think all of this is powerful as it relates to the concept of pause is because while the quarantine is a terrible tragedy, and I do not believe that God caused this from heaven. God has not given us any revealing that he has caused this. If he has, so be it. But I do not believe that's the case. But I also don't believe that God will waste it. I believe that God will use this and leverage this for our good in his glory. This is what he says in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Do you love God? If you love God, then he wants to use this season for your good. So the question is, what in me, God, do you want to go forward? And what in me, God, do you want to leave behind? God, what in me? Search me, know me, 
Test me, lead me, but reveal to me, God, your will and your ways, and I'll walk in them. Now, let's take a look at a story in the Bible that I think is so clarifying for what many of us need to know and understand and evaluate about where we are and some wisdom. Throughout this series, you're gonna receive wisdom about things to pause and leave behind, pause and reflect on, pause and process about God's ways in your life. This story comes in Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 38. I'll say a number of things as we go through them. Verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This would be Martha from the sisters, Mary and Martha, and they have a brother whose name is Lazarus. Lazarus is the one who dies eventually, and Jesus raises him from the dead. That hasn't happened yet. This is the beginning of their relationship. And we know from reading our gospel stories a little bit about them. Martha's a leader. She's a go-getter. She's a doer. She's a get-it-done kind of person. Know anybody like that? I'm convinced that everybody needs somebody, needs a Martha kind of person in their life. Probably more than one if you're wired like me. These are the kind of people, they don't sit around well. They always have to do. They always have to be active. They always have to be busy, advancing, going. And notice in this situation, the home is named for her. Martha opened her home to him. Why is it not Mary's home? Why is it not Lazarus's home? As far as we know, the three of them live together and share a home. But it's Martha's home, probably because she's the leader in the home. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. This is gonna set up the tension in the story that I think sets up the quarantine tension that we need to deal with today. Martha The leader has invited Jesus over. Now, it was natural in that society to be hospitable, to provide a meal. Jesus would probably stay overnight with them. The disciples would stay overnight with them. So there's a lot of things to get ready. It wasn't necessarily that she had the home prepped and everything ready for that to go. They're here now, and she's got to do a lot of rushing around. And since she's having such an honored, esteemed guest like Jesus in her home, she probably wants to go out of her way to make things as beautiful, (coughs) excuse me, and amazing as absolutely possible so that she can bless Jesus and the disciples. However, there's more to that story. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Hmm. Distracted. Distracted from what? Distracted from an amazing opportunity going on in her very own home. What was that opportunity? To be doing what Mary was doing. Where was Mary? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And my guess is today, you and I and lots of people watching this find it very easy to get distracted by the things going on in your home. I get it. It's not like I don't understand it. E-learning, Work, outdoor projects, yard work, friends, health, news, the evils going on in our country and world. I get it. There is a lot going on. But Martha is so distracted by all that there is to do that she's missing the most important things to do. Mary, on the other hand, has had no problem pausing to be in 
this moment with Jesus. Notice, she comes to Jesus and she asks him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Her frustration has turned into indignation, which has turned into judgment. That's often the pattern. Frustration into indignation into judgment. She's gone from being irritated that she's working so hard to now being frustrated that Mary's not helping her to now being judgmental, not only of Mary, but also notice it in her tone, judgmental of Jesus himself. Don't you care? Haven't you ever said that to God? I hope you haven't. I don't want to assume you have. I really hope you haven't. But I do know it's a common question. When you feel like you're putting in all the energy, you're putting in all the effort into whatever it is, and the other person, the other people, they aren't doing anything. Not like what you're doing anyway. And you question God. Where are you? What are you doing? Do you not care? Are you not trying? What's going on up there? Are you disengaged? And we forget. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees, and he will see to it. A lot of times, moments like this allow for us to stop, pause, and evaluate what's going on. The reality is Martha is focused on the wrong things. She's taking on too much. For whatever the drive in her heart is, is it bad to serve Jesus? I sure hope not. Is it off to want to please him? To want to put together something that's a blessing to him? And no means no. It's a great thing to do. But when your drive, when your focus is something other than Jesus himself, it becomes a damaging and unhealthy thing. And one of the ways that I've learned that God reigns in my life is he gives me limitations. Now, the reality is, excuse me for a second, every human has limitations. And oh, by the way, these are a gift. And if I could give you any piece of advice, embrace your limitations. I came across this concept reading a book, I don't remember now, maybe five to 10 years ago, called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And in that book, a pastor, his name is Peter Scazzaro, and I realized, look, I'm a pastor, I read pastoral books, but the wisdom of this concept will apply to you even if you're not a pastor. But what he says in this particular chapter on the gift of limits is, and I remember this story, he talks about, I, I don't have the details down, so if you go read it, the details may be off. But I remember him talking about laying in bed one Saturday and and kind of sensing something happening over him. And he opens his eyes and his wife is standing over him in bed and she's like shaking her fist at him and yelling at him. And he is thinking, what in the world has happened to this crazy person? And she's had enough. He's been pushing too hard. He's been going too fast. He's pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. He's going to conferences. He's writing books. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's trying to grow and lead a huge church. And everybody's following after him and thinks he's got it all together. But meanwhile, he's losing his family. And he said his first thought is, well, I better slow down just a little. And his second thought was kind of like, my wife is crazy. She's lost it. She's got a problem. He later started to kind of resent her. 
She's going to hold me back from doing more, from accomplishing more, from being more. She's a problem. Why would you give me this kind of wife, God? He later came to understand that what God had given him in his wife was a gift. In many ways, she was a gift intended to hem him in, to be an intentional limit in his life because he was pushing himself and his family beyond healthy boundaries that they could not sustain anymore and finally had enough and basically told him it's us or it's ministry. Sadly, from the time that I first started to go into ministry till today, I've heard similar stories over and over and over again. And my guess is that's not just a ministry-based story. It's probably one that's true in your life as well. My guess is whether it's fixing cars in your garage or hobbies you enjoy with sports or whether it's shopping or hanging out with the girls or working too much or the family and the kid life or the events and the many things that you cram into your schedule, it's quite easy to push beyond healthy limits. Peter Scazzaro said this, I spent a large part of my years as a senior pastor trying to be someone I was not. I attended conferences and read books about growing a larger, healthier, more powerful church. If only I would be and do as their leaders, then our church would be equally large and prosperous. The problem was that God has not given me the abilities and capacities he had given those other leaders. But other strengths to the task of leading a local church. My unwillingness to accept the reality of my God-given limits led me down paths that were never intended by God. As a result, pastoring slowly grew into a weight that I longed to shed. For years, I attempted to live out a script for my life that was not mine. While the script needed a character, I was the wrong person auditioning for the part. God has given me two or three, five talents He did not give me eight or 10. My parents told me I could be anything I wanted in life. A doctor, a musician, a professor, a writer, a professional athlete. I tried to play basketball like Michael Jordan in high school. It didn't work. We lost most of our games. Yet I didn't get the message. I could not do anything I wanted. Yes, I had gifts and potentials, but I also had limits given to me by God as a gift. Do you know what your limits are? Have you made peace with them? Have you actually begun to embrace them? Your gifts could be a physical ailment. Your gifts could be some way that you aren't as good as somebody else at a particular thing. Your gifts could be your child, your children, your finances, your spouse. But what? If you were given what you were given by a holy God who sees you and knows you intimately and knows exactly what you need to thrive, if you would just stay in that space. And that's the hard part for us. Because most of us resent limits. We don't like being told you can't drive that fast. We don't like being told you can't eat that much. We don't like being told you can't go to that place or you have to be home by a certain time or this is your budget. We resist limits at every turn. And so what most of us do is we push too hard, too fast. We go way beyond those limits 
till one day it's costing us our marriage, our children, our parents, our jobs, or more. So what do we do? Well, I would encourage you to pause. Pause. In fact, throughout this series, what we're going to challenge you to do is have a brief, just 10-minute pause with God every single day. You could get those through our social media platforms, whichever platform you use. You can get them through our Kingsway Church platform. And what you're going to find there is just a very brief passage and a very brief chance to reflect on something from that passage as you pause and evaluate, am I bringing the most important things forward with me? Am I leaving the least critical things behind? Throughout my life, I've had to practice this in different ways. As our church went through a hard season that required more of me here, five years or so ago, I decided in that season that the church needed more of me but also my wife and three very young kids who would have been somewhere around six, four, and one or two at that time, but they also needed more of me. And so I made a decision that what could go in that season was physical exercise. And I paid the price for it. My body got bigger and I got sluggish and I got more tired. And I don't know that that was the right call, but it was a choice that I made because I knew I couldn't do everything I always once did. In other seasons, I stopped going out and hanging out with the guys. This week, I I went and played ultimate Frisbee twice. And one of our members, Tim Gerber, said, man, I've been trying to get you out here for 10 years. But I wasn't in a season where I could do that and be a good dad and a good husband to my family. I had to accept the fact that there are limits. I can't do everything that I want to do. I definitely can't do everything that everybody else wants me to do but I can do everything that God intends for me to do. And the way that I make peace with that over and over and over again is by continuing to draw near to my heavenly father and sitting in his lap and being in his presence and saying, God, who are you? What do you want from me? And how do I please you today? And it's the most beautiful place you will ever get to where you can say and mean. It's easy to say. Say and mean. God, I long to please you, even if everybody else is disappointed, even if it costs me something that I find very valuable today, I will please you and nothing else. Luke 10, 41. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. There are indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Throughout the scriptures, anytime something is used more than once, it's intended to magnify, to intensify it. So when he says, Martha, Martha, he's intentionally intensifying the the calling out of her name. For instance, you'll see this in the King James kinds of translations, those older English, where Jesus will say, verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, we often see it in in modern translations. Sometimes it even just takes those out completely. It says something like, truly indeed, but you're missing it. 
He's actually doubling the word on purpose. In the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin and God comes down to pronounce now, this is what life is going to be like. And he says, now in dying, you will die. In the Hebrew, it's a doubling. Now in dying, death. In one Old Testament story, uh, people fall into pits. In the actual Hebrew, it says a lot of times English translations, they fell into deep pits. But in the Hebrew, it says they fell into pit pits. The whole idea of all of these is when a word is doubled throughout the scriptures in Hebrew and in Greek, it intensifies it. Jesus says her name twice to truly get her attention. Have you ever taken one of your children and things are just kind of crazy and they're out of control and you just put your hands on both their faces? I'm not talking aggressively like you yank them. No, no, no. I'm not talking about anything aggressive. You just put your hands on their faces and you look into their eyes until their body calms down and you have their attention and their focus and you say, honey... I need you to get ready for bed now. This is what Jesus is doing with Martha. He probably didn't literally reach out and touch her face. He reached out and he touched her heart. He said, Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha, you're so busy. You're running around. You're doing so many things. Notice he doesn't say, you're doing so many evil things. You're doing so many stupid things. You're doing so many worthless things. These are good things. Martha, you're so stressed. You're so overwhelmed. You're so busy. You're so trying to please a person, accomplish a thing. Martha, there's only a few things that are ever even needed. In fact, there's really only one thing that you need. Mary found it. I'm not going to take it away from her. If you have more things to do in a day, then you have time to do them, then you need to know that God did not give you that list of things to do. Let that one sink in for a minute. Does that mean that I'm never busy? No, of course I am. Does that mean I never stay up late working? No, of course I do. Sometimes things happen. The job happens. Ministry happens. People's lives fall apart when they fall apart. You're needed when you're needed. But you can't live your life like that all the time. And the drive of my heart is still, God must come first. Is God first in your life? Do you have some pattern or rhythm set aside where you are drawing near to your heavenly father to be searched and to be known? Is there some place where God can speak into you and call you out of darkness and into light and you don't get defensive, but you hear it and receive it? Is there some place where you listen to the father whisper over you words of affirmation and love and encouragement and you know, you know you belong to him? If not, I want to encourage you to pause. Because no matter what happens next in our country and in our world, this will bring the most lasting change. When Jesus says to Mary or about Mary, she's found the better thing and it will not be taken away from her. I want to encourage you to become like Mary. Pause and choose the best thing. Now, this is where it all kind of hits home. Listen, we did a video earlier this week that I want to encourage you, if you've not watched it yet, to go online and watch, okay? 
because I addressed in that video what's happening in our country, in our world. And I'm not gonna take the time to do that here, but I do wanna make an application quickly. As Mary draws into the presence of Jesus, she sits at his feet, it says. To sit at somebody's feet is to both learn from them and to submit to them. She's submitting to the teachings of Jesus. She's listening and drawing in. Can I just encourage something? Because what often happens in my life, here's what was going on before the quarantine in me. I had this list of things I needed to do. I needed to start eating healthy, which meant I was gonna have to start cooking my own dinners because little boys don't tend to eat real healthy. I needed to start exercising and I needed a more consistent, regular, quiet time with God. But I couldn't because I had this meeting and this thing to write and this thing to read and this thing to do and this place to go and these people to call and these people to serve and these weddings to do and these funerals and I gotta do this and I wanna spend time with my wife and I don't know what's going with her and my kids need me and I'd come home feeling guilty and worn out and overwhelmed and I'd just sit down and start eating whatever was fast. And I had to turn off all the other noises for a moment. Turn Facebook off more. Turn Instagram off more. Turn the internet off more. Listen, some of you need to turn off Fox News. You need to turn off CNN. You need to turn off MSNBC or wherever you get your news today. And you need to draw into the Father's presence and submit. If your identity and perspective of the world and the world's problems is coming from the major news sources, you're probably not where you need to be in your heart aligned with Jesus. Because I've yet to read a news article at a news site that lines up with Jesus perfectly. Now, let me just close and transition into communion with this. Jesus has many disciples. He's got three, Peter, James, and John, he spends the most time with. He's got the 12, he spends the next greatest amount of time with. Then he's got another roughly 100 to 120 others that he pours into. This, by the time we get to the book of Acts, that's how many it is. We don't know the exact number at this point in time. But he, and then he has this group of women that follow him around and often hear his teachings too. And only one woman, only one woman. Do you know how shocking that was in Jesus' world that a woman of all of it, not a man, not Peter, James, John, not disciples, not even his brother, James. One woman understood that Jesus was going to die. One woman. And in John Chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. <laughs> Surprise! While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. But Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You may go, what in the world's going on? Well, that's what everybody else said. In fact, Judas, the guy who would later betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he gets angry. Why is she wasting that on his feet? How dare she? We could have sold that and given that money to the poor. Jesus says, no, she's doing the right thing. She's doing this because she knows that I'm going to be buried. 
she knows that I'm going to die. Wait a minute. How did Mary understand what Jesus has been saying? Go read your gospels. He has said over and over and over again, you built this temple, you destroy this temple, I'm going to be rebuilt in three days. They didn't understand. The son of man is going to be betrayed over to the hands of the religious leaders. They're going to crucify him. The son of man is going to be lifted up and everybody who looks to him will be saved. He keeps saying it and saying it and saying it and nobody hears it except for Mary. And the only reason Mary was able to hear the voice of God is because she sat at his feet. Maybe, maybe the change that our world needs would come from 2,000 people who call Kingsway home in this little corner of the world, sitting at Jesus' feet and then submitting to whatever he says and going out and doing it. I want to encourage you right now to pause and be with Jesus. She anointed his feet because she understood what he was about to do. I want to give you a moment to just grab the communion that hopefully you've already prepared for this conversation. But if not, feel free to grab some sort of bread. A cracker is better and some sort of red juice. I prefer grape juice. The redder, the better. Listen, the purpose of communion is to remember that Jesus died on the cross. It was his body given up and it was his blood that was poured out in order to bring us to himself. But here's where I want us to focus today and here's where my prayer is going to be. We are a broken nation, broken. And there is evil abounding. People are hurting. And the Bible stresses that when the body is hurting, we hurt with it. Can we just for one moment put aside every opinion that we have about anything and just come together for a moment and say, God, we need you. We need your love. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. And God, I don't know how to fix these problems, but I know that you do. Let's take this bread and I'm going to give you a few moments to just pray your own prayer and then I'm going to pray it. And then we're going to take this juice. We're going to drink it. We're going to invite God in to help us to bring healing to the body all over the world. Father, right now, I pray for the body of believers who are engaging in this particular sermon, especially those who call King's Way home. God, help us to care about those who are hurting. God, help us to drop our own opinions and our own agendas and to sit at your feet and to hear everything that you have to say. Search us, God. Know us. Test us. But lead us, Father. Please don't let us stay the way we were when we came into this message. God, I want to pray right now for Mr. Floyd's family. God, I pray that you would watch over them, heal them, and by all 
of those, Father, of color in our nation who experience the fear and the anxiety that comes from the tragedies that have happened. We pray, God, for your peace to reign. God, we pray for you to bring the healing that this country needs. Father, we pray that it would begin here in us. And that, God, you would give us something to do to help change the world in whatever little way that we can. And, Father, we pray, God, send your son, Jesus, back soon to establish a new kingdom with the new king. That all the pain and all the suffering will be gone. Father, we take this bread now in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we ask, Father, for you to heal the things that only you can heal. And now, God, we take this juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And we realize, God, that evil has persisted in many forms and fashions over the last week. Father, there are many people who've been hurt either from an abuse of power or because they have a position of power. They were caught up in the storm that is raging in our country. Father, may the blood of Jesus bring healing to our land. May it bring unity to this nation. May we one day become one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. By the power of the name of Jesus, we drink this juice to remember the blood that was poured out for us. To you, Father, be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name.